We turn to our Bibles this morning as we consider a passage related to the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, although we won't be dealing with the first part of the passage, but the latter part of the passage, Acts chapter 2, verses 37 to 47. We'll consider those words. And that's really what we're dealing with here this morning are the, are the fruits or the results of Pentecost. If you read through Acts chapter 2, Christ pours out his spirit on the church, and then Peter gives his message. He preaches a powerful sermon centering on the, the death and resurrection and ascension of Christ, who has poured out his spirit on the church. And then we come to the part where thousands are convicted. The Holy Spirit works conviction of sin in their hearts and lives, and they, they come to Christ. They believe upon him. They trust on him. And they receive baptism, and they're added to the church. <laughs> That's where it ends, in verse 47. So, But our text today will be verse 42. And we'll focus on the signs or the marks of a spirit-filled church. Let's, uh, let's pray for the Lord's blessing on his word. And then we'll read Acts 2, 37 to 47. Oh Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts may be acceptable in your sight. Oh Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Acts 2, 37 to 47. Now when they heard this, that's Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified, exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received the word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who are being saved. <clears throat> so verse 42 is our focus this morning or this afternoon. And they continue steadfastly. There's the main verb there. They, they devoted themselves to what? To the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and in prayers. So congregation, Loved by our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, in our passage that's before us this day, we see the results, or you could say the fruit of the Holy Spirit being poured upon the church. It's not just a trickle, not just a little stream, but poured upon the church for good and powerful effect. And you see God here keeping his promises. He brings to pass what he has promised to do all throughout the Old Testament, what he has promised to do for his church. And what is that? That one day, one day he would come to dwell among us and in us by his Holy Spirit. Talk about the presence and the power of God among his people and his people. Right, the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, we see here in our passage, the Holy Spirit is forming a community. He forms a community with glad and with generous hearts. That's, that's, that's not our work, but that's the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of his people. In Acts 2, we see then that the exalted Christ pours out his Spirit on the church as God has promised. You know what, briefly, let's spend 30, 40 seconds just on seeing how all this came about. It's good to know how all this came about, at least in a very brief way. We know that the church was not new here. It has its roots already in the Old Testament. Think all the way back 2,000 years before to Abram. Abram was an idolater. He worshipped idols. And yet God in his grace chose him because God had a plan. He chose Abraham in his grace. And then God promised to Abraham that in him and in his descendants, all the nations of the world would be blessed. That's a promise that goes all the way back to Genesis 12. God from Abraham then eventually formed Israel, his congregation, to be the light to the nations. Think of the many passages in Isaiah. But Israel failed, failed miserably to live up to God's calling to be his light in the world. And so God sent her into exile to the Babylonians, to the Assyrians. Did God forsake his promise? No. God is always faithful to his promises. And he promised through the prophets that one day his people would come together again. He would gather his people and that he would pour out his spirit on her so that she might begin to fulfill her calling in the world. Just give you a couple examples. Isaiah 35, verse 6. Isaiah says, For the water shall burst forth in the wilderness. Think of the pouring of the spirit. The water shall burst forth in the wilderness. Or the cry of Isaiah in chapter 64. Oh God, that you would rend the heavens, that you would tear apart the heavens, and that you would come down. Well, the prophets looked forward to that day when God would regather his people. And now in Acts 2, what do you see? The crucified, risen, ascended Lord Jesus now pouring out his spirit, and the regathering the regathering of his people has begun. And it's begun among all the nations. Eventually, as you read the book of Acts, you see people from all the different nations entering or coming into the church, which the spirit forms, 
the Holy Spirit forms. And then in our passage, Acts 2, 42 to 47, you see, you witness that the presence and the power of the God who has come down and dwelling in the hearts and lives of his people. At Pentecost, in response to Peter's preaching, his sermon, and the power of the Spirit, we see the Holy Spirit forming a new community, sharing, caring, a glad community, so that all the peoples are looking in and saying, wow, what is this? I mean, you read verse 43, the fear, the awe, the wonder. What are the signs then? What are the signs then of the Spirit's presence and power in this new community that he forms? It's one way you could say they're very ordinary signs. <laughs> they should be the signs that are in every congregation, in every church. And yet all these signs are really from heaven. They're supernatural. It's something that's very unique for the church. Uh, you could say the church today is also the church of the Pentecost. And in verse 42, you see four signs. And all these four signs hinge on this key phrase, continued steadfastly. Or maybe you have the word devoted giving full attention to, to what? To four things, to the apostles' teaching, first of all, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayers. Those four things, those four things are the manifestation of the power and the presence of Christ or of the Spirit in the church. We're going to look at these four and we're going to see how the church responded to the Spirit's work in their life. As a congregation, we're talking about the congregation. Individuals, yes, but individuals, persons who were included or added to a, the community of believers. First of all, then, they continue steadfastly in what? In my version, says, in the apostles' doctrine. Some may say in the apostles' teaching. That's what doctrine is. Doctrine is teaching. This is the first sign, you could say, of a, of a spirit-filled church. New life. New life in Christ. And what you see among those who responded to the gospel, to those who responded in faith to Christ, you see in them a, a thirst created by whom? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit created thirst in them for the word of God. No doubt, they have all kinds of questions how all the word of God comes to bear and, and, and how it applies and how it connects. And the learning can go on and on and on and on. There's never a limit to the things we can learn about Christ and who he is and what he has done for us. Well, that's the sense here. They were eager. They were eager to learn more and more and more of Christ. They came together. And what do they do? They sat at the apostles' feet, and their ears, their ears were fixed upon the word. No doubt they had questions. No doubt they were asking many things about how the Old Testament scriptures were fulfilled in Christ. The sense here is that they gave constant attention to it. Not because they had to, but they wanted to. That's the, that's the, the work of the Holy Spirit in them. 
They wanted to know everything. And that's a lifetime. Everything about who God is and what he's done for us in Christ by the power of the Spirit. You know, these new believers from the house of Israel, you want to know something about them? They crucified Jesus. They crucified the Christ. And it's those people that God in his grace reaches out and transforms, changes by the power of his Holy Spirit, the one who gives new life, the one who replaces hatred with love, jealousy with contentment, death with life. Hearing Peter's sermon, the Holy Spirit, this is the most important work of the Holy Spirit, is to convict us of our sin. The first and primary work of the Spirit in our lives is to convict us of our sin. That's what he did. He convicted them of their sin, and they're on the ground, so to speak, saying, what shall we do? They saw what they had done. Peter says, repent. Not only repent, but be baptized. Every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He's calling, and the call goes out today too, for all people to repent, to turn from themselves, from their life in the wilderness, and to turn to Christ, where life can flourish and be blessed again. Indeed, Christ requires all to be baptized, all who believe to be baptized into this community, into this fellowship, which had received now the gift of the Holy Spirit. In this community, the Holy Spirit now brings the blessings of forgiveness, man's greatest need, brings a blessing of forgiveness in Christ. And you look on in verse 40, Peter keeps on preaching. I mean, there's more, much more that he said, but his basic, his basic exhortation was, now be saved from this perverse generation. Who, what's this perverse generation? Well, it's the house of Israel. Really? They were the church of the day. It was a picture of Israel as a perverse or corrupt generation. It's so clear here. They had rejected Christ. The message is clear. Peter says, be saved from it. The hearers now must now break away, break away from unbelieving Israel. They must break away totally from them. It's this way, Christ's way, or the other way. It's either life or death. And the Holy Spirit uses the promises, but also the warnings of the word to powerful effect as it lays so strongly on their conscience and on their hearts. And we read in verse 41, and those, not everyone received the word. There were some people that were totally turned off and didn't want to come back again. But those who gladly received the word, see that? Who gladly received the word were baptized. They belong to, the, they belong to Christ. They belong to Jesus along with their children. You know that? We see that from verse 39. They and their children would have been baptized. Witness the power of the Spirit in bringing the conviction of sin to 3,000 people. You can imagine the tears, the floods of tears that were just flowing as the Holy Spirit convicted them. 
you can doubt. I mean, you can no wonder, no wonder you can see the response of verse three, fear, awe, reverence came upon them all, not just among the believers, but also those who are looking on and saying, wow, what's happening here? What's happening? What has God done? They begin to see what God has done through Jesus was so great and so glorious. And that fear, of course, is even intensified. That awe, that reverence is even intensified by the apostles or Christ continuing to perform wonders and miracles through the apostles, the wonders and signs that they did. Again, these signs were just signs, but they were signs. They were confirming the power of the risen Christ who was working among the people by his word, through the preaching of the word. That's the main thing here. And the spirit, the signs were simply saying, yeah, this is the truth. (laughs) This is it. This is life. This is what we need. This is what our world needs. This is what our COVID-19 world needs. It's a wilderness out there. They need the work of the spirit. But that they can have by believing, and we all can have by believing on Christ. You know, sad to say, in no doubt, there's notable exceptions. We don't see a great deal of hunger and thirst for the word of God today. Sad to say, even in the church, this is the case. It's not for a lack of the spirit. The spirit has been poured out. The problem would be the people. You know, the thirst, the hunger has waned among many, but so has the gladness. And so has the generosity of heart. And perhaps, yeah, that warning that the Apostle Peter uttered needs to be heard again and again. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. There are so many distractions, so many excuses, so many priorities. We've exchanged bread for stones. We've exchanged a wilderness. I'm sorry, we've exchanged bread for stones. We've exchanged the garden for the wilderness. Dry, dry. You know, you think about this pandemic. It has put us on hold and makes us, doesn't it? It makes us evaluate and and reevaluate our own relationship to the Lord. And we see, yeah, that renewal, renewal comes through the conviction of our own sin. And with that comes a new hunger, or you could say a renewed hunger for the word of God and the hearing of the word. You know, these words of Jesus in John 7 come to mind. They're so heartwarming. It's such a powerful invitation. There Jesus stands fearlessly before a crowd who wanted then already to take his life. And he gives this invitation. If anyone thirsts, (laughs) if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, As the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Fresh, refreshing. 
And this he spoke concerning the Spirit. It has happened. The Spirit has been poured out. And it's a warm invitation to all. I love those words of, maybe you know Michael Card. He has a series of songs on the Gospel of John. He also has one on John 7, 37, 38. He brings us up very powerfully. I'll read those words that he sings. Puts it so clear. If you know that you are thirsty, if your heart and soul are dry, and deep within you're bearing as a stone, hear Christ's fearless promise, spoken every day anew, for all who thirst, who are afraid, lost, and all alone. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. The invitation is there to all. And the beautiful thing, the Spirit has been given, and he's the one who enables us to be thirsty. You can pray for that. God brings to pass what he has promised to all who believe on Christ. Those words of Isaiah 44. I will pour water on him who is thirsty. See the promise there? I will pour water. Not just a trickle. Not just a little that you're not satisfied. No, in abundance. And floods on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your offspring. What a wonderful promise for believers and their households. The word, the word, the word that is so central, so central to a um, spirit-filled congregation. The word, constantly giving our attention to it and growing in it. You know, the other three signs of a spirit-filled church in verse 42 really flow from this. When you have the first, the other three are there. A hunger for a learning God's word yields fellowship, breaking of bread and prayer. That's what we see here. And by the grace of God, that's what we see also in our congregation. And for that, we can give great thanks. But let's look at these verses briefly, or these three briefly. First of all, in fellowship. Again, they continue steadfastly. There it is, that word again. They gave continual attention to fellowship. Doesn't mean they didn't have time to work. Well, they certainly had their work, their daily work to do, their daily jobs. But this special word, fellowship, is the word koinonia. I know it's a Greek word, but it's a very special word, koinonia. And what that is, it's a, it's, it's a fellowship that is created by the Holy Spirit and exists only within a body of believers. That presupposes that we're together as a body of believers. It has a sense of sharing in, sharing in something together and sharing out something together. We together share in what? In Christ and in the abundance of his spirit that's been poured out in this church. But it also expressed, we express something of that, what has been poured out in abundance, we also express that abundance by sharing that abundance with others, by giving, but also by receiving. One author, John Stott, says it this way, Christian fellowship is caring, and Christian caring is sharing. And we see that verse, we see that uh, illustrated in verses 44 and 45. Just think about how 
how they shared their possessions and their some even sold their properties in order to give and provide for those who were in need. Now, of course, that was very unique to that day, what you see going on here. But the principle remains, you know, that generosity, the spirit who forms the community gives a generous heart. They were generous in heart. Among the 3,000, think about it, they left Judaism. And they were probably very likely shunned by their families. And now who are they going to receive support from? You know, the widows and others? Well, they would receive support from their new family, the new family in Christ, the fellowship. You know, occasionally we meet people who say they don't need the church, and the church doesn't need them. They might not say this loudly, but they act as if they can survive without the fellowship of other believers. But that's not what Jesus says. That's not how Jesus works in the hearts of believers. Look at verse 47. Those who are being saved, what did the Lord Jesus do? This is not just man doing this. <laughs> man joined. But what did the Lord Jesus do? The Lord Jesus added them to the church. Those who were being saved, he added, he himself added to the fellowship. One person puts it this way. Deliberate neglect of Christian fellowship will bring with it its inevitable harvest, a spiritual withering. The Bible reminds us it's with all the saints, it's together with the saints that we comprehend what is the breadth, the length, and the depth, and the height of the love of God in Christ, Ephesians 3.18. Though verses 44 and 45 are in some ways very unique to Pentecost, that principle of koinonia remains, doesn't it? The principle of fellowship. 1 Corinthians 12.13, so beautiful, reminds us that by one spirit, we, that is believers, were all baptized into one body. And we've all been made to drink into one spirit. In a spirit-filled body, we are vitally related to one another on, an, on a level ground. You could say all equally accepted in Christ, whether poor or rich, whether black, brown, or white, makes no difference. The abundance of Christ by his spirit is yours. That's, that's given for all who trust on him. We, are, we grow, we learn to share our gifts and talents for the building of the, of the body of Christ. We share our offerings through our ties to the Lord to show our care for fellow believers. Yeah, the spirit who forms the community does so with, with, uh, um, with those who are generous. He, he, he gives them generosity and heart. You know, how can the Spirit-filled believers do any less than this? This is the work of the Spirit of Pentecost, isn't it? He didn't come down as a trickle, but was poured out. Romans 5, verse 5. We read these words. So the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given us. The early church continues steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship. These are the signs of the presence and the power of the Spirit. Hunger for God's word 
What does it do? It brings people together in fellowship, <clears throat> generous in heart. This fellowship is further expressed. That fellowship, you see, is further expressed in the breaking of bread and prayers. I mean, generous in heart, but also glad in heart. They were happy in heart. We'll put the next two together. The breaking of bread and in prayers. Look at verse 42 again. They continued steadfastly. There's that main thing in it. They gave continual attention to the breaking of bread and in prayers. The breaking of bread may have well been part of their, a part of, not, not the total thing, but a part of the common meals that they would have together. These were called agape or love feasts. You also read about them in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Believers would often go to each other's homes to share meals. After all, the temple could hold 3,000 people. I mean, so much better you know, to go into each other's homes and have smaller groups. Think of the, um, the, the uniqueness of that Pentecostal event. I mean, in some ways it's non-repeatable, although God could still get 3,000 people at once. But uh, in a sense, it was very unique to that day. And so they divided by going into each other's homes. But look at verse 46. Continuing daily with one accord in the temple, breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Generosity, we see verse 44 and 45, but also gladness in verse 46. Continuing daily, that was something unique to that time of Pentecost. But the principle here are the expressions of, you could say, selfless love and joy. The reference, the specific reference to the breaking of bread seems to refer, though, to the Lord's Supper. If you look at Acts 20, verse 7, when Paul went to the congregation there, he talks about they met together for the breaking of bread that was on the Sabbath day, or sorry, on the, on the Lord's day. They met together for the breaking of bread. And so we see here in the early church already then, they were regularly celebrating the Lord's Supper, probably more than four times a year or six times a year, regularly, regularly celebrating the Lord's Supper. And often at the conclusion of their love feast, they would eat together and then, then break bread together after. You know, fellowship flourishes when it's centered on the Lord Jesus Christ and always a remembering of what he has done for us through his cross, through his death and resurrection. Breaking of bread had a vital place in the life of the early church. It does today, too. In breaking the bread, they remembered what Christ had done for them. We also break to bread together as a congregation, don't we? Although, last couple of months, not. Through this, the Holy Spirit, what does he do? He intends to strengthen the bond of fellowship as we gratefully remember, thankfully remember what Christ has done for us and bringing us together in fellowship with him and we experience gratitude we experience thankfulness for our brothers and sisters for whom christ bought with his blood and here we learn also as we break bread we learn to confess our sins to one another to the lord asking him for forgiveness on the basis of what christ has done for us on the cross if our fellowship with others is broken What's the first thing that happens in this fellowship? We reconcile. And then we go to the table to show our thanksgiving to Christ for such a great salvation. A Holy Spirit-filled church is a worshiping church. 
hungering for God's word, learning to live in fellowship, breaking bread together, praying together. You know, we grow in these things. Understand, we'll never be perfect in these things, but uh, we grow and we desire. That's the key thing here. It's the Holy Spirit that gives that. And notice here too, believers pray together in the temple, but also in small groups from house to house, as we've seen in verse 46. Certainly we pray privately, very important, but there's something special about praying for one another, even together, such as we often do on Sundays. Or maybe when we meet in each other's homes, we do that. Offering special requests so that we share our burdens with others and that others may also pray for us. It shows, doesn't it, that we belong to a larger family, a larger army, you could say. Prayer comes in different forms. If you look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, Apostle Paul there talks about being filled with the Spirit. How? In three ways. <laughs> We're filled with, by the Spirit in three ways. One, by speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. So by singing. That's another form of praying, you could say. Uh, expressing our praise to God. And then he goes on to say, by singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. And then by giving thanks. Now, those are the ways that we pray and express our praise to God that we see also in, in Luke, sorry, Acts 2, verse 47, praising God. Signs of the power and presence of the Spirit in the church is also a pattern for us today, continuing steadfastly in the Word, in fellowship, breaking of bread, in prayers, by being a spirit-filled fellowship of believers, the early church was a powerful witness also to the unbelievers around them. You notice this. This is really the witness that Christ is looking for, the witness of the congregation. Certainly we share the gospel with those whom we know and those that uh, don't know Christ. We share the gospel with them. Our words are important. And they had the words too but they had the joyous life. They had the generous life, the proof to back up their words, the life, the garden, so to speak. The work of the Holy Spirit. People saw the life of Christ in the body of believers. Fellow workers saw the life of Christ in the members of the body. And look at the result. Look at verse 47. Praising God, having favor with all the people. Notice that? They had favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. No doubt. Again, unique features of the early church of Pentecost that we don't see today. We don't meet daily. Uh, 3,000 converts in one day, as we said earlier, is exceptional. But then the Lord was beginning his church. But the same principle applies today in terms of our witness. People, lonely people, broken people, sinners of all stripes and of all backgrounds are often drawn, are they not? Often jealously so, in a good way, by the love and grace and by the sense of belonging that they see in the body of believers. They say, I want that. I want that. I wish I had that. I wish what 
I wish I had what you had. They see the signs of the presence and the and the power of God among a congregation. They see generous hearts. They see glad hearts. The power of the work, sorry, the work of the Spirit is attractive. It draws. It's like a magnet. Sometimes, you know, when it's there like that, you hardly have to go out anymore because people see the difference. They're drawn. That's evangelism par excellence. (laughs) They're drawn to the body, to the body of Christ. Very important. And it's that, it's the the congregation with these signs that, that shines into our dark, sad, corrupt world, a gloomy world, our COVID-19 world, a fearful world, it draws, it attracts, and it will attract all whom God has given to Christ. And all those whom God has given to Christ will come. That's our witness. You know, as believers, congregation, you and I, we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You have him. You have the spiritual resources, and the scripture encourages us. If we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. That's the encouragement here. May we continue to grow in our walk. In Acts 20, sorry, in Acts 2, 42 to 47, the Lord fulfills his promise in Zechariah 8, verse 23. Know those words in Zechariah 8, 23? In those days, that's our days now, because it's fulfilled. In those days, 10 men from every language of the nation shall grasp the sleeve of a Jewish man saying, let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. We see it fulfilled in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. And yeah, it still happens today. I mean, people among the nations in our midst say of us as the Hope Congregation, surely the Lord is with them.